This is uh, Pastor Derek Walker here of the Oxford Bible Church and we're talking about the Lord's Prayer and particularly the prayer of dedication that is enshrined in those words. Your kingdom come Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And today I just want to share something special about this prayer. The classic example of this prayer is the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, this is a, a, a wonderful example of this. So let's set the scene first of all. It says that in Luke 21, 37, it says, in the daytime, Jesus was teaching in the temple, and this is the last week before his death. But at night, he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. And so he would sleep with his disciples overnight on the Mount of Olives. And it's called the Mount of Olives because it's covered in olive trees. Now, nowadays, it isn't covered in olive trees, but in the time of Jesus, it was. And, you know, there is the Garden of Gethsemane is right there where it always was. And we know exactly where it was. And even today, it's an olive grove. And there are some ancient olive trees there in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the lower slopes of Mount Olive. Some of them go back thousand years and more. And... Um, this is where Jesus would, would stay overnight. Now, olives are a major industry in Israel. They were used, of course, for food, but the oil, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, was used for many things. It was used for sacred anointing oil in the temple, for lighting the menorah, for, for, for cooking food, for heat, for medicine, for lighting the oil lamps, for even insect repellent. So olive oil was used for all kinds of things. It was a very precious commodity, and so it was grown on the Mount of Olives. And this is going to be very relevant to the story. So it's where they slept overnight in the last days, and, and the Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives would have been covered with thousands and thousands of pilgrims who were coming for the feast. And it says in Luke 22, verse 39, that it says, coming out, this is them coming out from the Last Supper, he went to the Mount of Olives. He went to his usual place. As he was accustomed, this is where he stayed overnight. And his disciples also followed him. And it says, when he came to the place, there was a specific place where they went on the Mount of Olives. He said to them, pray that you may not enter temptation. And then it says in, in Mark 14, 32, it says that they came to a place. And this talks about a, a certain piece of property, private property, which was named Gethsemane. So the name of the place was Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Now, we know what this place is because of the meaning of the word Gethsemane. It means oil press. It's the place of the oil press. Literally, the press of the oils. As we'll see, there were at least three or four types of oils that were produced from the olives. And so we know that Gethsemane was not a garden, actually. There was a garden associated with it, but Gethsemane is the place of the oil press, and olive presses were, were actually caves. You wouldn't do all the pressing outside because of the weather and the temperature variations. You would do it in a cave. And so Jesus would, wouldn't have slept out in the open on those cold nights. He would have, they went into this cave, a cave called Gethsemane where the olive presses were 
and uh, that's where he left his disciples. But there was a garden associated with this cave uh, as part of an olive grove, and that's where he went to pray, as we'll see in a minute. And so I want to show you that this cave is right there. There is only one cave that qualifies on the Mount of Olives um, for, for this story. And you can see here a map of this cave. And on the right-hand side is the Church of the Agony, where it's believed that Jesus did this praying. But the cave is in red, and um, we know exactly where it is. And there is no other competing cave in the vicinity. And it was a spacious cave about 36 by 60 feet, and it was actually the largest olive oil processing site on the Mount of Olives. Now, olive presses worked on a lever principle, and they required a certain type of hole in the wall to attach and support the press. And today, this cave has been converted into an underground chapel, and an ancient hole is in the wall, visible through the square hole on the right of the altar, and it lies at the exact height to support the wooden beam of the press. And that's why we know that this was the Gethsemane. That hole in the wall is, the, is it, as it were, the architect, archaeological proof that there was an olive press there at one time. And uh, this is what it would have looked like in Jesus' time, something like this. So Jesus would have spent the, probably all the feasts Staying in this cave, he would have had a, an agreement with the owner and that would have given him a place of privacy to be with his disciples overnight during the feast time within the precincts of Jerusalem because the borders of Jerusalem was expanded to take in the, the Mount of Olives to get everyone in for the feast because they were required to, to be at Jerusalem during the feast. And so this was in a garden. Let's see that in John 18. Verse 1, it says, When Jesus spoke in these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, into which he and his disciples entered. And this word into means it was an enclosed garden, and they went into this garden. It was a private garden that would have been full of, you know, oil, um, olive trees. And then it says, And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. He knew the, where the cave was, where Jesus would stay. That's why his information was valuable to the authorities. He could give away the exact location Jesus would be because they need to, to arrest him secretly because they didn't want all the trouble from the crowds. And they got that information from Judas. It says, Judas knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. This cave was one of Jesus' favorite places. It's interesting, you can go on many trips to Israel and you're never taken to this cave. It's, and yet this is one of the premium sites uh, of, of the Bible. Uh, now, here we'll see this map where thousands were camping out on the Mount of Olives for the Feast of Passover to be within the expanded city limits. The city limit was actually at Bethphage on the other side of the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus started his triumphal entry. But Jesus had access to this special place, this garden, at the base of the Mount of Olives. And that gave him some privacy to do his praying. And, uh, and that's where he spent overnight. And that's how Judas knew where to go. Let's pick up the story, shall we then? In Matthew 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here. He left them in the cave. 
um, where they could get some rest. And he says, while I go and pray over there. And this was the other side of the garden. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. Now what's going on here? There's a massive emotional burden coming down that he feels sorrowful under death. He's coming under some tremendous pressure. You see, he had to make that final decision to go to the cross for us. God was asking him to drink a bitter cup, the cup of all our sins, the cup of all the curse, and the cup of God's judgment on our sin. And he didn't deserve. He should be drinking the cup of blessing. But instead, God was asking him to drink this bitter cup and meaning a violent death and suffering the equivalent of eternal hell for us. No wonder. Now, he always knew that was the plan, but God was actually, he had to agree to that plan with his will because God respects that free will. And now God was showing him the fullness in a vision. Somehow God was showing him what suffering this would actually mean. So that Jesus wouldn't be able to say, well, you never told me it would be as bad as this, Father. No, he fully now comprehended what he would have to suffer for us. And under that pressure of what was going to happen, it wasn't his physical death, it was the spiritual suffering as well that he was facing. And that is why Jesus was, was under this immense burden. And Luke actually tells us something dramatic in Luke twenty-two forty-one. It says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. And actually the distance from the cave to the other side of the garden where the Church of the Agony is, is actually about a stone's throw. And that's traditionally, there's a stone there in the church where Jesus did this praying. And there's a part of it just outside the church as well. And this is where... He prayed, it says, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And here he prays the prayer of dedication. Not my will, but your will be done. Under this emotional pressure, his flesh is telling him, don't do it. Find, do, don't do God's will. And he had to get control over that. He had to get the victory over that by praying the prayer of dedication. Father, your will be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And so he was not only perspiring out of every pore of his body, but blood was coming out with his sweat. And this, only, this is a medical thing that only happens when you're under the most severe kind of emotional stress and torment. And we'll see this later on remember that when he rose up from prayer he came to his disciples he found them sleeping with from sorrow then he said to them why do you sleep rise and pray lest you enter into temptation and we'll we'll see this in a minute but if you are under pressure if you are under emotional stress if you don't pray if you don't submit your will to God, you will actually enter into temptation. You'll enter into the trap of the enemy. Under that pressure, you'll do the wrong thing and, and, and you will fall victim. And so it's in that pressure, you must pray and say, your will be done. 
your kingdom come, Lord. And, and you see here a map of the garden and, and where the church of the agony is, a stone's throw away. And uh, this is the traditional place of the stone where Jesus prayed. God chose this place on purpose for this occasion to reveal what was happening to Jesus because there's a picture here. See, as olives were full of oil, so Jesus was full of the, of the Spirit. But for the oil that was in Jesus to be released to bless the world with the light, with med you know, the, these, this oil would be used for medicine, it would be used for light, for heating, for even for soap to cleanse. For that to be released, those olives had to be crushed and pressed. And in the same way, Jesus had to be pressed. And in being pressed in the will of God, he released the oil of the Holy Spirit to us. And I want to show you the, the process of this. First of all, the first step is that the olives would be crushed um, using a crushing stone. And then the crushed olive pulp would then be collected into a basket uh, and baskets to be further processed by the olive press. So they're crushed first and then they're pressed. And here you can see a picture of the baskets of the crushed olives. And then they were stacked under an olive press so that when the pressure was applied, the oil would start to flow out. The pressure was applied by this long wooden beam that was anchored in the wall and it was weighted down with stones, usually three stones on one end. And this, the weight of that, magnified by the lever principle, it squeezed the remaining oil out of the pulp through the baskets into the stone vats below. And so the, the oil was collected. The basket is pressed with force, extracting the oil out of the crushed olives and collecting the juice into a storing vat. The beam olive press used in, in this second step of olive pressing extracted the last drops of oil from the olives. And this is what it looked like as the oil was being pressed, as the olives were being pressed and the oil started to ooze out. And this is a picture of Jesus with the blood pouring out of all of his pores as he was being pressed for us. These presses were located in caves. A beam was secured at one end between two rock cut ledges in the deep recess in the cave wall and that's how it would have been for the Gethsemane press. There were three stone weights, usually hung by a rope on the wooden beam, and these pushed the beam down. The use of the lever principle magnifies the force, and the force of the lever pushed a flat stone down on a basket, which contained the olives, and the stone squeezed the basket, extracting the precious olive oil into the round onto the round grooves of the basin stone. The juice flowed through these grooves, through an outlet in the basin, into the collecting vat. And this is the picture now. It says that Jesus, in his agony, it was pouring out drops of blood, were for, pour, falling down to the ground, much like the drops of the red liquid from this crushed fruit. Doesn't it say in Isaiah 53, 5, he was crushed, he was bruised for our transgression. He was pierced for our transgression. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. And um, they would have different pressings, different kinds of olives, oil. First of all, they would be using none of those uh, stones, weights. And simply 
the, the, the oil that came out naturally um, from the baskets was the virgin olive oil that was to be used in the temple for the anointing oil for the menorah. Then they would use one of those weights and that would then extract the next lot of oil that was used for, for food, uh, for cooking, for medicine. Uh, and then they would add another, uh, double up the weight and that would exert double the force and that would release another lot of oil uh, from the second pressing that would be the, used for the, mostly the light for the oil lamps that would give them light. And then they would have the third stone and triple the, the pressing and that would actually release more oil not so high quality, and that would be used actually for soap, for cleansing. And then even the remaining pulp left over would be used. It would, much of that was used for, for heat, for fires, for cooking. Uh, it would be used for keeping um, insects away, insect repellent and so on. So all the goodness of that olive was released and used for, for healing, for cleansing, for light, for heat, for all these practical uses and for the anointing oil too. Now what, why am I sharing all of this? Because I want you to see what Jesus went through for us. Jesus was pressed for us. He was like that olive full of oil, but he was pressed for us. And in the pressing in the Garden of Gethsemane, that released the oil and the life of the Holy Spirit to heal us, to anoint us, to give us the light of life, to cleanse us. And just like those olives were pressed three times, Jesus had three pressings. This was the, first of all, the free will offering of his life to God. That was the first, the oil that was first released. But then he started to be pressed in the Garden of Gethsemane as he began to take on all that he would have to do. And we read that in Matthew 26, verse 39. This is the first pressing. And it says, he went a little further and fell on his face. I want you to see Jesus fallen on his face. He is being pressed. That massive weight now is pressing on him. He is being squeezed emotionally under this massive pressure. And so what does he do? Does he buckle under this pressure? Does, does he cause that pressure to cause him to stop doing God's will? No, but under that pressure, maybe you feel you're being squeezed right now by circumstances, by temptation or whatever. Under that pressure, you must pray. You must pray this prayer of dedication. Your will be done, not my will. Your will be done. And under this pressure, he submitted his will to God's will. And he, on his face, he prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink this cup of, of, of sin and judgment that we deserved. And thank God Jesus did drink that cup because if he didn't, we would have had to drink it. We would have had to drink all the curse and the judgment on our own sin. We'd have had to go to hell. But Jesus drank it to the last drop for us, praise God. Let this cup pass from me. That's the natural recoiling of his flesh from what he's gonna have to do. Nevertheless, though, he says, not as I will, but as you will. He won the victory he, by, by praying that prayer. And then he found his disciples sleeping and then he gave them an important message. Because although he won the victory, his disciples had not prayed and they were not actually ready for the situation that was gonna come upon them. And in that situation, they failed. 
Sadly, they failed. Why? Because they did not pray this prayer of dedication. Notice what he says in verse 41. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Lest when the pressure comes on you, you're not, up to, you're, you're not ready and you fall into the trap. He says, and here's the, such a key idea, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's true today. Our spirit is willing. We, if we're born again, we want to do the will of God, but our flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak to do the will of God. Our flesh is weak to know the will of God because we have this sin nature in our flesh. And if we don't pray, this flesh will have dominance. And when we're under pressure, we will do the wrong thing. We will run away. We will, we will deny Christ. You know, we will do the wrong thing like Peter did because the flesh is weak. The only way we can, what we have to do is get our spirit in dominance over our flesh. And that's so that when the temptation comes, we will not fall into temptation. We'll not make the wrong decision. We'll not go the wrong way. How do we bring our flesh under the control of the Spirit? It's by praying the prayer that Jesus prayed. Father, not my will, but your will be done. I don't care what I'm feeling. I don't care what I'm thinking, but your will be done. And if you can pray that prayer, you will have the victory in that situation and you will not be falling into, te into the temptation, into the trap of the enemy. I want you to see that Jesus was then pressed again in verse 42. Again, a second time. Here's the second pressing. He went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, the second pressing, and more of the oil of the Holy Spirit was released. And then it says again, verse 44, he went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. So again, he was pressed. But again, he prayed that prayer, Father, your will be done. And then it says, he came to his disciples in the cave. Thank God Jesus didn't quit. He didn't give up. He continued to dedicate to do God's will with his tongue. And that allowed God to work. Then he came to his disciples who were in the cave and he said to them, Are you still resting and sleeping? Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was yet speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, came with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. It could have been up to a thousand people were coming to arrest Jesus because they knew the power he had. In fact, J John 18.3 says that Judas had a cohort of troops with him. That could have been up to 600 troops, plus officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees with lanterns, torches, and, and weapons. They come to arrest Jesus. Now, Jesus made it very clear next that he, he could have escaped that situation very easily. He says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come on him, went out of the cave. He went forward. Literally, he went out, not out of the garden, but out of the cave and said to them, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus, Nazareth. And then he said, I am. And as soon as he declared, I am, he released his glory. And they all, all thousand of them fell to the ground under the power of his words. And God did that as a demonstration that Jesus didn't have to give himself up. He chose to give himself up. He chose to lay his life down. That was the decision he made in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And he made that very clear. And he says in, in Matthew, he says, I could have called on 12 legions, and 12 legions of angels, 72,000 angels to deliver me. So, and then he says in, in verse, um, in John verse uh, tw 11, I think, he says, shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me? In other words, at this point now, he has received the cup from the father. He has accepted it. He's won the victory. Do you see that? He says, the father has given me the cup. So now he's gone through that battle. This is where he won the battle, really. And he has now got the cup in his hands. And now, as he is arrested now, instead of escaping the situation, he has now taken the cup. And he, start, he starts to drink the cup now. The moment they arrest him, the moment they put chains on him, and he, he now enters that final suffering, he is now drinking the cup. And on the cross, he drunk that cup to its last drop for us. He didn't have to do it, but that was the will of God for his life. And as he drunk the cup, as the oil, I want you to know that the oil of the Spirit was given to you, but it, Jesus paid a big price. And we all have a cup that God wants us to drink. It's a, it's a good cup, but it's the cup of God's will for our lives. And it is a glorious cup, but it may involve some suffering too. And God will reveal it to us. And we have the choice whether to drink that cup or not to drink that cup. But whatever suffering we have in that cup is nothing compared to the glory that will go with it. And we have to be willing to drink that cup. We have to pray that prayer to, to walk, get into God's will for our life. We have to say, Lord, whatever your will is for us, I am willing to do your will. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. I will drink that cup. If Jesus drank that horrendous cup for me, how can I not drink that wonderful cup of God's will for my life? But sometimes you have to bring your flesh under because your flesh may want to do something else. So you have to win that battle like Jesus did by praying that prayer of dedication. Your, not why will be done, but your will be done. And you come out of that at peace saying, I shall drink the cup that God has for me. I shall do the will of God for my life. Uh, and you will have that peace and joy of doing God's will. So praise God, Jesus loves you so much that he drank that cup for you. The whole Bible comes to life once you know the background to different stories in the Bible. And one of these examples is in my latest book, Revelations at Caesarea Philippi. What Jesus told his disciples here is brought to life when you understand this, this location in Israel. I recommend that to you. Another example of this is the location of the death and resurrection of Jesus on Mount Moriah, Golgotha and the garden tomb. Uh, Jesus died and rose again on this very special place. And it's where Abraham offered up his son Isaac. And this is all covered in this book here. And also understanding about the year of Jubilee, uh, this CD series of eight CDs. In fact, you get two extra, I think. Yes, you get 10 CDs here for 15 pounds as our special offer, all about the year of Jubilee. And this brings the gospel to life. And so to order all of these, please do send a check to Derek Walker, 
363 Banbury Road, Oxford, OX27 PL, or call and uh, order uh, by phoning 01865 515086.